Hello, everyone, and welcome to the LNL Economics Podcast. This is Gabe with my co-host, Luke, and uh, we just recently got finished reading The Bottom Billion uh, book. So, Luke, why don't you tell us a little bit about this book? So, The Bottom Billion is a book by economist Paul Collier, and it's uh, it's really, it's a, it's a short read, but tell us a little bit about it. Do you enjoy this book? I actually did like it a lot. It was pretty short, as you said, but uh, I think it actually informed a lot about um, important economic concepts. Uh, I think we should start this off by quickly just giving a little synopsis of this uh, book for anyone out there, any of the viewers um, who haven't read it. So, uh, Luke, would you like to uh, kick us off here? Yeah, so in The Bottom Billion, Collier talks about the bottom billion poorest people and the countries they live in. He talks about why these countries are the poorest, all the different traps that cause them to be the poorest, or as he calls them, development traps. And he also gives various solutions to get these countries out of poverty. So, Gabe, could you just quickly introduce the listeners to this concept of development traps? So, development traps, um, I would say the word trap isn't really properly described here. I'd say it's more like a situation or an event. Um, but basically, uh, it's when a lower-income country um, finds itself in a certain situation that inhibits its ability to progress, I guess, into a not-lower-income country, so a more developed country. Um, but in this book, there are plenty of examples of development traps and also towards the end uh, ways to fix them but uh, i think we should just go over some of these examples of development traps to get better uh, give a better example of what they might be yeah so an example given in the book of a development trap is the conflict trap and as many of you guys may know uh, a lot of these lower income countries often have wars and more specifically civil wars uh, and these wars are expensive. Um, you know, they have to pay for all the the guns and all the munition. But more importantly than that, there's often a relapse after war, uh, which is also uh, not good for progress. And also after war, there's often corruption, which is also uh, bad governance. And if you have the costs of a war plus uh, a relapse plus bad governance, there's just no way these poor countries are ever going to become rich. So that is one example of a development trap. But another one is the resource trap. Uh, Gabe, do you want to quickly just talk about what is the natural resource trap? Um, the natural resource trap uh, is our second development trap that's talked about in this book. Um, and basically what, uh, what happens here is that natural resources are actually very uh, prevalent and present in a lot of these uh, bottom billion countries. And despite their ability to make money, it never really works. Uh, and here, there are a couple of key reasons to that. Um, mainly, well, one of the reasons is that uh, the resource, the conflict around this resource, uh, the governments like to create a lack of transparency to their people. Um, and this is mainly used by the governments to generate uh, a benefit for themselves. And... This leads to uh, financial inaccountability from the government, which can really, really hurt um, the economy of that country. Uh, it also leads to something called Dutch disease. So, Luke, do you want to talk about uh, Dutch disease for a little bit? Dutch disease is something that happens to these lower income countries, which are reliant on a single resource. As due to the abundance of this one single resource, a lot of the revenue comes from it and they become too reliant on it. And due to this reliance to one single form of revenue, a lot of other a lot of other industries become a lot less competitive. 
Okay, now let's move on to poor landlocked countries. This development trap is interesting as unlike the other ones, it's less avoidable. And to understand this, I quickly want to explain what a landlocked country is. So a landlocked country is a country that has no direct access to an ocean and therefore has no access to ocean trade routes. Due to this, a landlocked country is limited to land trade, air trade, or having good relationships with neighboring countries. This is why I said the trap is less avoidable, because when comparing it to the previous traps, like wars and bad resource management, it is clear that it is less avoidable. That being said, there are successful landlocked countries like Switzerland, but that's besides the point. The main point is that a lot of these bottom billion countries are landlocked and poor. And in a situation like this, it's really hard to develop, as realistically it's impossible for these countries to develop sufficient infrastructure to make a profitable air trade route. Because of this, they're trapped in a situation where they either have to have good relationships with their neighbors, or they have to have really good land-based trade routes. So, that was the landlocked trap. Now we have the bad governance trap. Gabe, do you want to take it from here? This development trap, um, I actually don't really like the way it's named, to be honest, because I think it's less about bad government and more about the fact that um, the country kind of drives away potential investors. So basically what this chapter or this, you know, this development trap talks about is um, due to the bad governance of the country, uh, housing or sorry, living costs are very minimal. Therefore, labor-intensive work is uh, like um, more important there or more used there to create money. Um, and it goes the same for other countries such as India and China. But the thing is, investors, they don't want to invest in a country that they feel unsafe in, that they feel they're not going to get their money back in. So instead of going for a country that's in the bottom billion, that has this you know, not as uh, well-off govern, uh, government, why wouldn't they just go for a country like India or China where they know they're going to get their money back and they're safer? Yeah, so I think you summarized that last trap really well, but I just want to quickly remind all the listeners here all the traps. So there was the conflict trap, the natural resource trap, the landlocked uh, country trap, and the bad governance trap. Um, but the book doesn't end there. It actually goes a step further and it mentions all the different ways that you can allow these poorer countries to get out of the bottom billion and rise to richer countries. So let's just quickly get into those, Gabe. Okay, so there's four solutions that were presented in the book. Um, And the first solution mainly talks about aid agencies. So aid agencies are agencies that obviously provide aid to countries that need it. Um, But in this book, the author is arguing that the aid agencies aren't really taking any risks. Um, They're going to countries that they know uh, will be affected really well by the aid um, and countries that may need it, but countries that may not need it as much as other countries. And they're also, uh, the author also strives for citizens to not support um, governments that take away funding or severely constrain what aid agencies can actually do. The next solution Collier offers is uh, appropriate government intervention. He encourages rich countries to find uh, one of these bottom billion countries and ensure that they have a democracy. Uh, So they can do this either by implementing a democracy or if one of these bottom billion countries already has a democracy, uh, he proposes that these countries come in with military intervention and ensure that there are no coups and it remains a democracy. A specific example Collier gives of a successful military operation 
can be seen in the British intervention of Sierra Leone, where he says, quote, Operation Palliser has been a huge success. It has imposed security and maintained it once the RUF was disposed of. The whole operation has been amazingly cheap. I can think of no other way in which peace could have been restored and maintained in Sierra Leone. So one of the last solutions that the author uh, discusses is the issue around trade policy and how it's needs to be fixed. So he believes right now that trade policy is uh, giving preferential access to countries with bigger economies, which you know would make sense. But he says that trade policy needs to focus more on free trade overall. And he also thinks that preferential access should be given to countries within the bottom billion um, to encourage them to give exports and make money off of exports. So I actually really like that last solution, Gabe. And Collier actually goes a step further in his TED Talk and gives a specific example of this solution working in a real-world scenario. And he gives the example of the U.S. Uh, developing trade routes uh, post-World War II with Europe. And by giving this preferential treatment to Europe, it ensured the growth and development of a struggling Europe and success of the U.S. So uh, I think that wraps it up. We're getting pretty close to the 10-minute mark here. And uh, yeah, so closing comments, Luke, anything else? Well, as you mentioned at the beginning, this is a short read, but mm -hmm. yet a pleasant one. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of economic books are rather long. So if you're a little, uh, if you're beginning in economics or you just want a short read, I highly recommend this book as it really has a lot of useful information. Mm -hmm. um, and I even more recommend this book if you're particularly interested in lower developed countries um, or if you're just interested in econ in general. And even if you're not, Pick it up and try reading it. Could be good. Yeah. But, so yeah. also just let us know in the comments uh, what you thought of the podcast. If you've read the book, if you're interested. And if not, that was the LNL Economics Podcast. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.